This is the Thursday Night Podcast, your source for news, analysis, and all things Georgia State sports. Because every day is Thursday. Hello and welcome to a special Thanksgiving edition of the Thursday Night Podcast. My name is Taylor, joined by the full crew today, David, Brady, and Jordan. Uh, Fully uh, peeling the uh, curtain back a little bit, we're recording this section of the podcast right after the uh, Georgia State quadruple overtime win. Local time right now, 1.03 a.m. We're coming at you. Can't miss this Georgia State content. Before we get to the uh, Georgia Tech, uh, Georgia State basketball breakdown, uh, later in this pod, we're going to have some football discussion. We've got a, a South Alabama game recap, as well as uh, some Southern uh, preview content. And then uh, we're going to take some listener questions. But the burning topic of discussion on everybody's minds this fine Thursday, early morning, Georgia State's 123-120 quadruple overtime win over the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. Gentlemen, how are we feeling? What a game. Yeah, I can tell you I'm not tired. Um, I mean, it it wasn't always pretty, but they got the job done, and that's all that matters in the end. I'll say what has given me faith in humanity again is that that game did end at some point. Uh, Before we get to some, like, initial reactions, I want to throw some stats out here for our... Generation. So Justin Roberts, your leading scorer for the Panthers, 26 points, five of 11 from three, five of six from the free throw line, uh, nine rebounds, six assists, uh, six turnovers. Um, Eliel Sasemian, his Georgia State debut, 22 points and seven rebounds, go three blocks as well. Um, King Williams, 21 points, 7 of 22 from the field, but just 6 of 16 from the free throw line. We'll touch on that in just a moment. 12 rebounds for the senior captain to go along as well. Um, man, I mean, we could just, I could list off impressive stats from a quadruple overtime win here, but curious as to what do you think this means for the Georgia State Panthers prospects moving into the 2020 21 season? Brady, I want to start with you. Well, I don't want to give all the guys short shrift. Um, Corey Allen, 22 points, and he really came alive the overtime period. Yeah, I think the stat was he scored 11 of his points in in the overtime periods. And all three of the senior guards, Roberts, Allen, and Williams, had key contributions in the final and finally ultimate (laughs) overtime period, uh, the fourth overtime, get the win. Starting at the big picture, no matter how it looked, getting the crosstown rivalry win over Georgia Tech, especially after Georgia State has felt they have a claim to say that they are the best in the city, best in the state in basketball, that is that cannot be overstated. Huge. Huge as far as that goes. It could have been a, you know, like the score of the South Carolina women's basketball game. earlier today or that score in overtime, no matter what that part would always be the most salient takeaway. It just this most important thing. But as far as how the rest of the season, this, how this translates to the rest of the season, we really saw when the going got tough, the senior leadership step up. Um, I think we saw quite why 
Eliel Sasemi was getting talked up so much by Coach Lanier because he looked very good in his Georgia State debut. Uh, and, you know, you got a guy, Colin Moore, freshman coming in, has to hit two free throws to send it to fourth overtime, down to basically no time left. Drains them both, moving on, and Georgia State ends up winning the game. Uh, all across the board, guys making big plays. I think everyone you logged significant minutes had something you could point to to say that helped win the game. And that's the story of this Georgia state team. I think, uh, didn't have Nelson Phillips or Joe Jones, but the depth was still there and there were still a lot of guys contributing. And I think the depth is going to be what gets Georgia state success this year. It's just, there's so many guys that are able to do different things and there was enough tonight to get a win. A few more uh, just interesting stats notes here. A couple firsts for both teams here after this quadruple overtime game. Uh, this is the first triple overtime and quadruple overtime game in Georgia State program history. First quadruple overtime game in Tech's history, as well as this is Georgia State's first win against an ACC opponent in program history. Um I want to shift focuses over here to some of the individual performances, uh, specifically um, Kane Williams, uh, the senior captain, uh, first game of his uh, senior season. Um, Bit of an up and down night, uh, finished with 21 points, obviously, and 12 rebounds. But like we said earlier, 6 of 16 from the free throw line, that wasn't uh, uh, just limited to Kane. There were free throw shootings, uh, issues on uh, for both teams tonight. Yeah, I mean, we can start there with Kane, and you know, I, you know, I want to congratulate him. You know, he was definitely instrumental in the Panthers' win. Um, you know, he definitely seemed to have poise, which that's very important when you have as rough of a shooting night as he had at the free throw line. Um, but he, you know, he wasn't shy with his shot after that. He, you know, kept attacking, kept still trying to get fouled in the lane. Um, and you know, those types of things, they make a difference. Um, obviously you can't miss 10 free throws in a game. That's never good. I think one could argue if Kane hits three of his free throws earlier in the game, we're probably not talking about a quadruple overtime, Georgia state, Georgia tech game. Um, but as you said earlier, as both of you said earlier, you know, that leadership was huge for Georgia state, both him, Justin Roberts, you know, Corey Allen coming off, you know, kind of a slower game and turning it on in overtime to keep, the Panthers in the game as you know, Georgia tech kind of started to pull away sometimes, but Georgia state kept matching them punch for punch. Um, you know, those types of things are super important, especially as you know, with the 2020 season being as weird as it is, you know, that veteran leadership is going to matter so much this year. So I want to take it back to a couple of just broad points on, I think where Georgia state was able to pull it out. Uh, First was just after a little bit of a slow start, their defensive identity, they just stamped it on the game and Georgia Tech didn't quite know how to handle it. And it led to Georgia State taking the halftime lead, pushing the lead to as much as I think 11 in the second half. And Georgia Tech battled back in the game. But then again, in overtime, when nobody still really had their legs, 
uh, Georgia State felt like at opportune times they were pushing the tempo and it was just catching Georgia Tech out enough. And that's something you can hang your hat on that, especially the more overtimes they went into, uh, just seemed like while the legs weren't there and that everyone was struggling to get shots to fall as the game got on and even earlier just because it was the first game of the year. It seemed like the energy never really left. And that's sort of what got Georgia State over the finish line, in my opinion. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's crazy because I think, you know, as regulation was winding down, we were staring at the, you know, the so semi game, you know, Georgia State debut guy fouls out. But, you know, he's got 22 points, you know, seven rebounds. All of them are offensive. He was really, really good to your point and provided that energy, you know, down on the low block. And, you know, obviously it sucks that he fouls that he fouled out you know, sucks for him. And, you know, he wanted to be there in overtime for his team, you know, but just the mental toughness for everybody else to match that energy that Sosemi had was really nice to see them kind of coalesce around it. And I don't know if it was just year two bump or Sosemi and him playing together in the front court makes things click a little bit more, but Jalen Thomas looked great on the defensive end four blocks on the night was active and shot blocking. He added five offensive rebounds of his own, um, especially for any more games. Joe Jones might miss because of injury that pairing in the front court, provided they can stay out of foul trouble. They're going to be tough dudes to deal with on the offensive glass. And they're going to be dudes. You can't just put up a shot against. They're going to be active trying to get blocks and combined with the, just the tenaciousness that the guards can get at trying to force steals and trapping uh that could be a combination for georgia state just having one of those sequences where they go on the 17-0 run like they did in the first half of this game and just take over a game yeah and anecdotally we were even speaking during the game just about how jalen thomas looked more comfortable down low and looked a little quicker on his feet and you know you gotta you gotta hand it to him for putting the work in the offseason he definitely seems to have improved um, and honestly, I think that lends itself to two of these uh, numbers. Well, one specifically, but two numbers here that stick out to me as big factors for the Georgia State win here is 64 to 50 points in the paint uh, between him and Sosemi, uh, between Jalen Thomas and Sosemi, just the two of them locking it down and giving Georgia State that, that beefy presence inside to be able to go up against uh, Georgia Tech's bigs really opened up the floor for, uh, you know, some of the guards to be able to get a little bit more space. Um, now that you have to respect that Georgia State, you know, has this kind of dominant presence inside that you can't just, uh, you know, swarm the, the, the perimeter that, you know, that opens up a lot of things for um, for potential, uh, you know, passing back and forth uh, between the guards and the bigs. I think uh, it shows a lot of promise um, in the, the, the future where this team could go. The other uh, note I wanted to pick up here was the fast break points, uh, 34 to 16 in uh, favor of Georgia State. Another uh, sort of indicator that this Georgia State team can when they're out in transition, when they're you know moving at their pace and they're setting the pace of the game. Uh, really feels like they can run with anybody. So a lot of promising notes here um, and, you know, things to improve on as well, but all in all, a great, great, great win for the Panthers tonight. I'm not going to make Jordan dig for the audio because we've given him way too much to do anyway. Uh, but I just want to point out that I think I set the number at 14 assists and I'd feel pretty good. Georgia state ended the night on 16. I'll take that one, even though there were four overtimes and there's just a ton of asterisks with that number. 
and you know, just one other thing. Obviously, Georgia Tech was in that game because of free throws. You know, they shot 41 of 59. Um, 41 made free throws in a game is ridiculous. Um, but if you look at the way that Georgia Tech shot on offense, they were 36.7 from the floor and 21 from behind the arc. You know, you're not going to beat a Georgia State team if those numbers are not in the 40 and 30s. You have to be making your threes and, you know, hitting your shots from the floor in order to compete with Georgia state, you know, not every team is going to have as bad a free throw shooting night as Georgia tech. You know, some teams will have worse. So Georgia state will definitely need to clean up the foul trouble that they had. Um, but if you're playing defense and getting those type of rate stats, you're going to have a long and good season. Yeah. Uh, the first thing I was going to say based on the foul trouble comment you had, I think a lot of people would have said if you're going to have both Sisemi and Thomas foul out, I mean, and then Boyce as well, uh, watching at home, you'd probably be thinking this is not going to end well because Georgia State's losing a lot of their presence inside. And that isn't really how it played out. The guys who were still in the game were able to still force some bad shots and some misses and play tough defense. And I think that's a testament to all those guys who – had to have been extremely tired uh, to still be able to do that because earlier in the game, I think a lot of it had to do with those two on the inside. And so that was an impressive thing as the closeout of the game happened. And then to your point about the shooting percentages, I think the first thing with that is it's year two and Georgia state's still holding teams under 40 from the floor. So I think that there's something about that this tenacious defense and just forcing tough shots and not letting teams hit threes here to stay. And it's a ACC team that you just had that, you know, you just did that too. And granted, they're not the best shooting team. Uh, I think they were one of the worst scoring and shooting teams in the ACC last year, but those are some tough guards and you made, Michael DeVoe shoot three of 13 from three and Jose Alvarado two of seven from three. Not good nights. Parham off the bench went one of six from three. You forced some shooters who even had a couple of good looks not shoot well. Uh, bodes well for when you're not playing an ACC team with so many weapons. Before we transition to football, I'm curious as to our thoughts on where does this leave? I mean, obviously, a, a quadruple overtime game is a little bit more of a physical ask than your average college basketball game. So is does this, you know, factor into either of the uh, Panthers games coming up this weekend, uh, hosting Tacoa Fall and then traveling to Mercer on Monday? I mean, they'll definitely have tired legs. Um, it remains to be seen how tired they'll be Friday, you know, at obviously Georgia tech plays right down the road. Um, you know, we'll see how the team looks on Friday. If they come out a little flat, you know, I don't think that that should come out. That shouldn't really be a surprise. Um, but I think it'll affect the Mercer game more than it'll affect the game on Friday. If anything. Yeah. I think that your point is not an insignificant one. Uh, there's really no travel involved. And while this was a grueling game, that's at least one bonus. It was basically a home game without the, the home arena. They're going to sleep in their own beds tonight after probably a nice bath or <laughs> I, uh, I need so, a nice bath yeah. after that game, honestly, you know, uh, hopefully the result isn't any, 
different than what it would be against Tacoa Falls as a team you should win handily against. And then Mercer's a good team building something under Greg Gary. But I think the thing that happens when you beat Georgia Tech on the road is you really need to beat Mercer also. Um, that just, yeah, that's how expectations work. Beat an ACC team, I think the expectations set for Georgia State that fatigue, what have you, for being the program that they're trying to build to be, being 3-0 and by the time we talk again has got to be the expectation. Not writing off it as an easy game, but just that's where Georgia State's at in basketball. Feels like it can't be overstated, though, that feels good to be having this kind of conversation following <laughs> the potential of a, you know, a quadruple overtime heartbreaker loss is almost too much to fathom. But, you know, in, in terms of the development of the program, it feels good to be talking about, you know, Georgia State starting, you know, 3-0 and on the season with a couple of solid out of conference lined up. I mean, like it's, it's, it's fun to be able to talk about this team contending with the likes of Georgia tech and reigniting that kind of crosstown rivalry. And again, it probably would mean a lot, no matter what the ACC team was, but the fact that it's a win over Georgia tech. So big. So let's move on to a recap of the South Alabama game last weekend. It was a 31-14 Georgia State victory. Uh, at the half, it was 7-all after four GSU turnovers. Uh, early in the second half, uh, USA took a 14-7 lead about halfway through the third quarter. But on the ensuing drive after, Quad found Sam Pinckney, who ended the day with 176 yards receiving. Over the middle for a 65-yard gain down to the three-yard line, Tucker Gregg would punch it in on the next play, and the Jags' lead was gone in 55 seconds. The defense would then hold South Alabama scoreless the next three drives, Georgia State scoring on each of their next three, with a touchdown, field goal, and touchdown, respectively. And what was once a nail-biter became a comfortable 17-point road win. For me, that's the story. I mean, we can focus on bad that was in the first half that kind of left it as a game. But the story is... Comfortable 17-point road win. Yeah. Right. It... At the end, it, it's where it should have ended up when you look at the, the yards discrepancy on the game, when you look at just on the field, how it was going. End of the day, Georgia State needed a win. It being a good, comfortable win down the stretch would be helpful just to avoid those late game stress situations that haven't necessarily gone Georgia State's way this season. And that's what happened. End of the day, that is what happened. Uh, we can spend more of the time now unpacking the other stuff, but I wanted to start with Wins are wins. 17-point wins are 17-point wins. I guess we can start with the bad first. Um, you know, the beginning of the game didn't go so well. Quad threw that really bad interception. South Alabama scored on the short field. Um, you can't really be mad at the defense for that. I mean, they had to defend like 30 yards or something like that. Um, and then it's just this... The first half was just really, really sloppy for Georgia State in the turnover department. Um, as Brady said, and as he wrote in the uh, UFR piece, um, go check that out. Um, Georgia State was moving the ball at will. So it wasn't like the offense wasn't doing anything. Um, it's just they kept putting the ball in the hands of the Jaguars for, you know, and I'll throw away the pick at the end of the half. I mean, that cornerback just made an incredible play in the end zone. Fine. Um, 
but the other two interceptions can't have that. The Dustin Coates fumble. I mean, you just, you can't have those sorts of costly mistakes like that. And I mean, yeah, they're mistakes, but you know, against the better team, a better team, takes advantage of those mistakes. You know, Georgia state is very fortunate that the Jaguars weren't able to take they, I mean, they got seven points off of one of the turnovers, but other than that, they couldn't do diddly squat with the great field position they were given and the opportunities they were given with the ball. So. Yeah. I mean, at minimum, if South Alabama connects and scores on, let's say, you know, another two of those drives, call it a, a field goal or a touchdown. This is suddenly a much closer game. So Georgia state was bailed out a little bit, um, you know, in the, in the sense that South Alabama was not able to capitalize on those, uh, on those turnovers. So this could be a very different conversation we're having. If, you know, a few plays go the other way. And candidly, having been through some of the gory years of Georgia state, we've watched games like that. Absolutely. And I think we've we alluded watched games to this. Where the, yeah, we had alluded to it on a, a previous pod episode about like these are the kind of games that show a maturity in how the program is progressing. You know, call it turning a corner or whatever you want to call it. But there are years where we can all attest that we would absolutely be watching Georgia State melting down after a four turnover first half. Um, so, I mean, kudos to the coaching staff and the team for going out and making those adjustments uh, and tidying it up in the second half. Um and, and, you know, coming into the rest of the game. And that isn't even touching on the, what might've been the main talking point out of the game, also on the defensive side that Dante Wilson and Antavius Lane didn't play. And those are arguably the two most important players on the defense. I don't think it's a lock that that's the case, but they are definitely in that conversation, very pivotal guys. And say what you will, the South Alabama defense is not or, the South Alabama offense is not one of the better units in the conference. And that showed, I think the offensive line for them really had to struggled against Georgia state, but it would have been easy to say, we're down these two really important players. They mean a lot to our identity and let that affect the game. And it didn't happen. Other guys came in, got more snaps without taking on the defensive line. And it was a pretty dominant performance. Uh, Jordan Strong continues his 2020 season that has been spectacular with two more sacks. Hardrick Willis got one and a half sacks to take the rear lead with sacks with 11 and a half now, passing McKendy Cheridor. Ja'Cory Crawford gets uh, two half sacks, leading to a full sack. Uh, Akeem Smith gets a half sack. Jeffrey Clark gets another sack. Thomas Gore gets another sack. Those two redshirt freshmen, and they're going to be problems for the Sun Belt for a while. And Sure, part of the story was South Alabama kind of stagnant on offense all day, couldn't really get anything going, but for the two scoring drives. But it was also just because second week in a row, the Georgia State defense played really well, started by those guys up front. I mean, we can sit here and say that South Alabama, you know, we can talk about their offensive talent, but I mean, the way that I looked at that game, it was much more about Georgia State's defense, you know, through both halves, just saying it's great that you, you know, Desmond Trotter, you're a decent quarterback. It's great that you guys have, you know, decent running backs and decent receivers, but we're just not going to let you get comfortable or do anything. And, you know, even when there wasn't a quarterback hurry on the play or Trotter wasn't hit or anything, you always saw, you know, 
Thomas Gore's hands in Trotter's face. You always saw Hardrick's hands in his face, you know, Jordan coming, uh, Sean coming off the edge, you know, and it's not like there was a lot of separation in the secondary either. You know, I think you, the only really pivotal play we saw from the secondary was the, uh, claw white, uh, pass broken up in the end zone. Um, but at the same time though, it wasn't like that was because they were getting beat. No, it was because there was just no time for any defensive back to make a play. Since you know, Trotter wasn't really looking all that much downfield and he was just taking everything underneath. If he even was completing passes, you know, it was just truthfully a rock star performance by almost every single person who suited up for the Georgia state defense on Saturday. And I'll say this to, to the, to the defense's credit, you know, coming out of the, the locker room tied seven, seven, and then uh, a, a few sequences later, uh, South Alabama marches down eight plays, 70 yards, a minute 32 to make it 17 or 14, seven, excuse me. I mean, that's an opportunity where, like we said, like a less disciplined defense that's been kind of not been put in a great position by the offensive side of the ball could have just kind of gave into the emotions of the game. Hey, we're missing key guys. You know, we feel maybe there's some momentum swinging the other way, but they clamped down. And from then on, it was really just all all things Georgia State. So, um, you know, kudos to them for being able to stick in and kind of dig deep and, and execute uh, against, you know, not all odds, but, you know, put in a disadvantageous position for sure. We've gone long enough without or with only mentioning Sam Pickney once, so we should circle back around to that. Uh, he had a great game, and it really felt like on offense, the catch, the 65-yard catch down to the three-yard line, setting up her, Greg's touchdown the next play, sort of unlocked everything for the offense the rest of the day. Yeah, I mean, five, felt five like, receptions for 176 for an average of 35 yards per catch is just bonkers. And, you know, it was another thing where – First half didn't go great. Quad had a couple of throws he really wants back, but he put up his career high in yardage and he never stopped trusting that deep ball to Sam. And he kept throwing it down to him, knowing that 15 has got a good chance of coming down with it. And it kept happening. It set up a couple of scoring drives. I mean, that etch, it was the, I think the 43 yard bomb um, down to like the eight yard line. I mean, I just keep replaying that in my mind because it was just bonkers. Like, yeah, Sam has size and yeah, he had a beat on both of those defensive backs, but there's just no reason that he should be catching that ball. And he made it look so easy. Um, you know, can't you got really on, say, you got must. <laughs> yeah, he did. He did. You got on. Or just say was on. I feel like it's happened the other way. I can't quote off the top of my head, but I think Georgia State has had the player being the one getting mossed before. So fast improvement there. I mean, that's what you want, um, you know. But I, I wanted to mention a little bit, just you know, how effective the running game was. Um, you know, obviously it sucks that Dustin was put in the doghouse after his fumble. You know, you can't fumble there. Like that's just the reality of the situation. And I think obviously Destin knows that coach, you know, mentioned it in his post game, you know, that it just, there's a time and a place where he would have kept him in. And that was a good teaching moment for him, hopefully, you know, but I wanted to shout out jam and Tucker Greg for really 
providing that spark when they were needed to kind of keep Georgia state moving the ball, you know, jam kind of didn't really do too, too much in the second half, but that 42 yard run in the first half was electrifying, you know? Um, and I mean, I just, I really hope that they can continue to get as much as they have gotten out of him. And, you know, his production continues to go by because in a way he reminds me a little bit of 2019 Seth page and that he's just, he's very close to just breaking off a home run every time he gets the ball. And if everything is just aligned correctly and he gets to the outside and no one's got an angle on him, he's gone. You know, it's just, he's going to find that edge. And he, if you don't have a guy fast enough, you're probably not going to catch him. Only one game guaranteed this year to go get that man a touchdown. Still sitting on the zero mark for the year. Get that man a touchdown. I mean, honestly, get as many as you want. That's just my opinion, though. Yeah, yeah. I can compromise and say multiple touchdowns is also fine. <laughs> I'm glad we could come to an agreement here. And what can you say about Tucker Craig? A, a former walk-on, played hard on special teams, kept earning reps, and he's really solidified himself as an option in this run game to the where you're running back one fumbles and you don't necessarily want to put it back in his hands right away. And so you just lean on Tucker Gregg and he gets you three touchdowns. And he's just, you know, I know we use a lot of adjectives to describe guys that, you know, probably don't have the most athleticism or physical gifts, but Greg is just such a smart and effective runner. You know, I don't think to say the word spark plug, <laughs> Jim Rat, you know, one of those euphemisms. <laughs> I wouldn't call him a gym rat. Student of the never game, whatever you want to call an athletic white dude playing football. <laughs> well, you know, but it's it, it sucks because, but it's true. You know, know just I'm the just, way I'm that sorry. the way that you see him run, and especially on the uh, his longer touchdown run um, in the second half. You know, that hole. Obviously, you could kind of tell that Georgia State had the numbers before the snap. But I mean, I know tons of runners who would have ran into tackles there, but not Tucker Gregg. He just keeps those legs going, bounces it a little bit outside, and no one's going to catch him. You know, it's just a very smart, nice, strong downhill runner. Yeah, I mean, just like you said, Tucker Gregg really has exploded for Georgia State this year. I mean, he's got 426 yards on 69 attempts, uh, six touchdowns, half of which came on Saturday. Uh, but I mean, an average of 6.2 yards per carry is absolutely nothing to scoff at considering the sample size of 70 rushing attempts. You know, part of that credit definitely goes to the offensive line um, and probably, you know, some some part due to the, the play calling. But at a certain point, you just got to go out there and do it. And he's absolutely proving he has the capabilities of doing just that. You know, you, you kind of mentioned it, but I think especially given where the team was on Saturday after Destin fumbled, you know, you probably expect that Tucker's going to get maybe what, 15, you know, rushes a game, something in that ballpark. You know, he had only 18, so obviously it was still a collective effort, but, you know, he was the feature guy. And I mean, your mindset definitely changes when coach looks at you and says, hey, bump up your normal average attempts per game because we need We're riding with you today. Like you are our guy today, you know, and I mean, he answered the call as about as well as anybody on Georgia State that I've ever seen could do it. So 
And it feels good to know that year in and year out, it seems that Georgia state is going to have a roster of guys that, you know, when a Dustin Coates fumbles in the first half, it just is not having it that day that you're able to turn around and lean on the rest of the running back core, you know, Tucker Gregg or, or Jammer, you know, or even quad putting it on the ground. I mean, the, the, the strength of this Georgia state offense certainly is in the, the rushing attack. Um, which is insane to say when we're talking about a game where one wide receiver had five receptions for almost 180 yards. I mean, like it's, it's fun talking about having offensive options and depth uh, at this, at these positions, you know, it just, I'm trying to, to harken back to all the doom and gloom of the former, you know, Georgia state years, but it just, it feels good being able to talk about this, this roster is having depth at these positions, you know? And the next step is if some of the stuff in the passing game gets cleaned up, if the big plays still stay in the passing game and drives maybe that get ended by an interception or just an errant pass or a drop or whatever starts getting cleaned up more and more, you can have the floor of the rushing game and then the passing game, whatever you can add on top of that is going to add, you know, points on your average multiple, like five points on your scoring average every year. It's going to add 50 more yards a game it's going to make a real difference. And that's going to be, I think what takes this from what is already a very good offense to an elite NCAA offense. That is the capability you have. That that is like, there's a missed opportunity for saying that anything in the passing game is just extra gravy. Happy Thanksgiving folks. Anyway. Thank you for that. You're welcome. Someone had to do it. <laughs> you, you can say missed opportunity. I can say uh, coach's decision. BNP <laughs> <laughs> did not pun. One final thing um, that I feel needs to be addressed, though, about quad um, is, you know, I think maybe not us, but people need to really take this young man in stride. You know, Georgia state has never had a freshman quarterback starting like quad is trying to start, you know, as far as we know, and you know, we can't look into the future or anything like that. Quad is going to be a four year starter at Georgia state. Um, you know, obviously knock on wood. And so when you have, a guy like that, you're you're going to have a first half like Quad had, where they're moving the ball well, but some of the throws aren't there, and you know they end up in the other team's hands. You know, but at the same time, though, you don't want to go off of him because of what you saw in the second half. You know, I don't know that making a quarterback change in that game teaches Quad, hey you can come back in any game that you're down in because you have those gifts, you know? And I mean, all of those passes to Sam, like that's the same quarterback that made those boneheaded throws in the first half. You know, you just have to take those lumps and, you know, we've seen the up and down with quad this year, you know, the ups have been really high, you know, the down has been really low, but it's about the, you only get to that mature level, you know, that Zach Thomas level when, you have a guy who has been there and made those mistakes and you learn from it. And if we're still talking about, you know, the interceptions, like the, you know, the pick six against ECU, if we're still talking about quad staring receivers down next year, then, you know, maybe we can have conversations, you know, stricter conversations about what he needs to fix. But for now we can just talk about the bad and move on from it because, you know, this is a young quarterback with so much talent and, you know, there's, he's still going to be incredibly raw. And, you know, like I said, we, we saw the good with the bad on Saturday. So, you know, you're just going to have to learn to live with that for right now. 
Yeah, and just to kind of put some numbers to the point you're making, David, uh, quad season stats, he's sitting at uh, about 1,675 or 74 yards, uh, uh, 13 touchdowns and eight interceptions, a 51.8 QBR. Uh, but to me, the, uh, the, the telling stat here is the 134 completions to 235 attempts or a 57% completion rate. I mean, these are stats that don't jump out at me as – a freshman quarterback coming in to take over an offense left by, you know, you know, the kind of quarterback that Dan was. I mean, he really has shown flashes in, in games specifically, but oh, if you look over the the kind of trajectory of this season, then quad is really setting this team up for, you know, sustained success and consistency across year to year coming from the quarterback position, which is huge. And Georgia State really has never had before. It's a very unique position for this program to be in because uh, the mold has been, you know, the the JUCO transfer. Somebody coming in, you know, has an okay year one and really flourishes in year two like we saw with Dan. But, I mean, this is a really unique position that the, the coaching staff and quad are in collectively now that they are able to set this foundation and have these teachable moments like the first half to be able to look back on and build upon and continue to kind of uh, mold him and, you know, refine some of those rough edges. But the, the absolute, you know, salient point here is that, that the talent and the potential for growth is there. And we've seen it uh, in, in, in moments this year. But I feel like if you look at the, the overall stats that this, these are, these aren't numbers of a, a, a quarterback who you have worries about playing a little bit too wild. I mean, like these are, these are, he's putting up solid numbers this year. And the exciting part is that we still have one more game this season for quad to be able to show us really what he's made of and the kind of progressions and, uh, improvements he's made this year and it really couldn't come at a more opportune time jordan do you want to take over for a little georgia southern preview yeah thanks taylor it's uh hate week again whatever you want to call it what other acronym you want to assign to it it's gsu versus gs as the georgia southern eagles come into center park stadium for the seventh all-time meeting between the two teams series is tied three and three uh, head coach Chad Lunsford is 25 and 16 at the helm of the Eagles after taking control after Tyson Summers was fired uh, at, during that season. Uh, this week, four players for the Eagles were arrested. Uh, we don't really know any details about the incident beyond what we've seen uh, broadcast on social media by local news. But Chris Harris Jr., Wesley Kennedy III, Ephraim Kitchen Jr., and C.J. Wright have all been suspended from the team due to that arrest. Of course, uh, innocent until proven guilty in the American justice system, but they will not be featured on Saturday as they have been suspended from the team and athletics until that investigation is complete. Of course, uh, Kennedy being their star running back this year, C.J. Wright being a starter on defense for the Eagles, uh, the other two players we're not starters, but still uh, impactful losses for the Eagles going into this weekend's game. And additionally, quarterback Shywartz's health is a little bit in doubt. Supposedly, he's expected to play on Saturday, but he has been banged up this year. Uh, Justin Tomlin is the backup if Wartz is not ready to go. As far as defense goes, the Eagles are fourth in Sunbelt scoring defensive, 22.2 points per game allowed, first in yards allowed at 319 per game. Uh, defensive lineman Raymond Johnson III has five sacks. Linebackers Reynard Ellis, Rashad Bird are co-leading tacklers with 59. And freshman defensive back Derek Canteen has four interceptions. 
I want to start off this this kind of open discussion segment with just a gut reaction. Like, how are you feeling going into the Georgia State Georgia Southern game on Saturday? I mean, like Jordan talked about, uh, the law and order side of the stuff with the arrests, not our expertise or place to comment on. That will all play out as it is. But I mean, the, the, the thing is, is that Wesley Kennedy is an exceptionally important player for that offense. And so if he is out due to suspension, that is a big cog in their offense, not there. And it's a team that I would say, I think, leans on the defense more. And it's the offense can play complimentary football with them, but it's a unit where if Georgia state is able to come in and have some success on offense, and it, it's a situation where Georgia Southern is down an important player on the offense on the road and maybe feeling, you know, this has happened to the team. And so how they respond to it, we don't know, but I think that the events happening as they have, you can't say anything, but it plays out as an X and O's advantage for Georgia state because Losing two starters lead up to a game, not really having a ton of time to prepare for it is a significant thing. Definitely. You know, that obviously can't be understated or sorry, that obviously can't be overstated. You know, Georgia State now has to prepare for, um, you know, to see a couple of different faces. And who knows, maybe those new faces will be just as effective as the guys that Southern lost. Um, But I think. I think personally, given what Georgia State has done the last two weeks on the defensive side of the ball, I think this game is just going to come down to what those guys do in stopping Southern's, you know, I mean, Southern is, you know, another top rushing team in the conference. They're always there with App State and always there with Georgia State, just they do it a little bit different of a way, you know the recipe for beating Georgia state this season has been to throw all over them. And, you know, Georgia Southern is basically allergic to doing that, which is, you know, that's fine. That's just not their style. Um, So the thing that's going to matter is just how effective the pass rush is going to be, you know, if they're going to be in run defense mode, you know, how effective is Georgia state going to be at stopping the run when you have multiple guys who could potentially get a handoff and, you know, how are they going to keep contained and, you know, remain disciplined and, you know, it's never fun or easy having a week to prepare for an option offense. Um, But also given the last two weeks, you know, Georgia state's defense has flipped a switch and, you know, coach Elliot talked about it in his post game. He says that they have switched to a finish practice strong sort of mentality where, you know, the starters on offense and the starters on defense go against each other. Um, And that has sort of helped them, you know, turn around their, you know, their intensity and it's kept the intensity high. You know, I can't speak to the intense, what the intensity will be like for Saturday, because obviously we're dealing with, you know, college kids and you know, I can't. Some... it will be intense. <laughs> Fair. This but game, David, it's not uh, a rivalry, guys. It's definitely not a rivalry. Never, never has been. That is fair. Well, we, we should we should just say as a podcast covering Georgia State, we're appreciative of Chad Lunsford for letting it be a rivalry. Absolutely. Thanks, Chad. It was totally up to you the entire time. And we appreciate your sacrifice. We appreciate it. <laughs> fair points. Fair points. Um, but if I mean, if Georgia State's defense plays as they've played the last two weeks, it almost doesn't matter what the offense does. And I still think Georgia State can come out with a win. I do think the offense will be good and fine. Um, 
because obviously Georgia Southern has a very good defense. You know, you've got to respect that side of the ball. They have good defensive backs. You know, their pass rush is annoying, even if it's not the most prolific. It's just very in your face. They've got a lot of big guys on that defensive line. Um, but I, I don't know. I can't personally see this game being anything less about, I can't see how it's anything less than just Georgia state's defense being the unit that it has been the last couple of weeks. If they're that unit, then the game should be, it should go well for Georgia state. I'll say the other note, uh, this is not new to this week. Georgia Southern's leading rusher, JD King has been out and will be out for this game with uh, a leg injury of some kind. I think um, has, went out in a game earlier this year out for the season. Um, that's another loss for them. They already have had to deal with. Um, and so words, I do expect to play. I I've mentioned in prepping for this, the injury, just cause he did leave in last game, I think on two instances and he like Kennedy, I'd say that those are the most important cogs for that offense. So if you're in a situation where there's a lot of injuries and all that they're dealing with and their offense is out of sync, that could be to Georgia state's advantage. And I think it is worth to talk about the defense for Georgia Southern because that is their strength. And they, as a team have won in close games this year and have made their own luck as so to speak in instances where they're just able to create turnovers and capitalize on those turnovers. And so I think that is where Georgia state's got to be careful because they're prolific. The defense has been prolific at forcing turnovers, but Georgia state now has a negative turnover differential on the season after this last game against South Alabama, because the offenses put it on the floor too much. Uh, 17 turnovers on the year now. And this is a team in Georgia Southern where they have no problem making you pay for your own mistakes. And it could be a situation where Georgia state's even having a better day on offense. And it doesn't matter because of the two plays that go Georgia Southern's way and they capitalize. I, I don't know what it is about that team, but one thing they do is punish teams for their own mistakes. And so Georgia state's got to play a clean game on Saturday. So we had a listener question from Carlos that I think will work nicely here. Uh, given the, the segment, um, if we had to boil this down to biggest keys of the game for Georgia State, what would you say? Brady, let's start with you. Well, I'll start where I just ended by just saying mistake-free or as close to mistake-free as it can be. Uh, because, like I say, Georgia Southern has a penchant for making teams regret mistakes. Uh, so keep the turnovers down. Don't put the ball in harm's way. Canteen is going to be an annoying problem for the Sun Belt to deal with as a freshman who's already paying four interceptions, much like we should mention Antavius Lane is going to be a menace for other teams in the Sun Belt as he's only a freshman. But digressing from that, mistake-free, uh, getting into a rhythm in the run game, uh, these are the two best running defenses in the Sun Belt, and so I think that is going to be a test early for Georgia State is if they can get some downward momentum in the run game then maybe Georgia Southern's defense is a little apprehensive and not feeling quite up to it. Whereas if they're starting to shut down the Georgia state offense from the first drive, maybe they get ahead of steam going and then it's a real slobber knocker to use one of David's new favorite words. <laughs> Love so I would say that mistake free and establishing the run early on offense. David, what about you? 
So we know that the Brad Glenn offenses like to run 80 plays a game. Um, and, you know, just kind of the nature of option teams, you know, Georgia Southern is probably going to control not necessarily the tempo, but the you know time of possession is going to be really key. Um, so I think offensive efficiency in general will probably be very important for Georgia State. You know, I know I just talked about the defense, and if Georgia State's defense is um, as good as they've been recently, you know they'll get off the field, and Southern's offense will be able to match. Um, but, you know, conversely, Georgia State's offense, you know, has to keep being good on third down, you know, score quickly in the event that they need a score. Um, you know, we've seen that big play capability from Sam and Quad and, you know, Cornelius McCoy and Tucker Gregg and, you know, the whole bunch of other guys on the team. So it's not that they can't do it, but, you know, I don't know that this is going to be a game where you're going to have time for those 15, 20, 30 not 20, those, you know, 11, 15 play 70 yard drives that take like five, six minutes. No, some, you know, you're going to need big plays to be able to keep up with the time that Georgia Southern will be taking off the clock, just running their offense. Yeah. I'm just going to kind of echo and uh, kind of go a little bit off of what you guys have just said. And to me, the key of the game is going to be controlling both sides of the line of scrimmage. Uh, both of these teams are stellar running teams. Both these teams have stout running defenses. It's going to be a little bit of which immovable force or un, you know, stoppable, uh, unstoppable force or immovable object is going to waver first, right? And Georgia State has kind of prided themselves on everything they do offensively starts from the offensive line, whether it's, you know, getting started in the running game and getting a good rhythm going. And, and like you said, David, controlling the efficiency at which Georgia state is operating in the offensive game to try and limit how much control Georgia Southern has over the play clock. Um, and then, you know, on the other side of the ball, Georgia state has had a lot of success getting to the quarterback and getting in the backfield and creating pressure. Uh, so I'm really interested to see how this specific iteration of the defense matches up against the option that uh, Southern runs um, Georgia State has historically played pretty well against the option. I think a lot of that has to do with the preparation and the coaching staff's experience in preparing for that kind of offense. But at the end of the day, Georgia Southern's offensive scheme is more or less unlike any other that Georgia State has played this year or you know plays in any given season. So controlling both the offensive and defensive side of the line of scrimmage and be able to one allow quad time to be comfortable in the pocket. And if they're going to be throwing it, giving him the best chance to be successful, like you said, Brady, limiting those opportunities for mistakes. Um, and then on the flip side, you know, being disruptive at the line of scrimmage uh, on the defensive end and keeping Georgia Southern from getting into one of those rhythms where, you know, they're, they're in their hurry up and they're picking up first downs and then it becomes tough, you know, to, to get back and to kind of set your defense right. Um, ultimately, I feel like the success uh, or failure of Georgia State is going to stem from and move out uh, into other parts of the game from the line of scrimmage. So one final thing before we get you guys out of here on this Thanksgiving uh, we did have a question from Sid who wants to know if you were the coach of GSU men's basketball, how would you run the team in terms of schemes, rotations, etc.? David, as a X's and O's person 
for basketball that I know that you are really interested to see your take on this. <laughs> well, I mean, I feel like I'm being put on the spot. You are. Um, Go ahead. <laughs> well, first of all, um, I'm not, you know, I, I feel like I'm, you know, talking crap and smack about a former, you know, lover or something, but I'm not a huge fan of zone defense. Um, I think the one thing that I personally want to prevent, which is, you know, high volume three point shooting zone defenses don't necessarily stop. Um, but I also know that being able to play man to man effectively for 40 minutes, you know, relies heavily on your personnel. Um, but that's, you know, where I would start defensively. And I think that's where college basketball starts. Um, I think a lot of, you know, some of the memeier schools love to play some sort of like pack line offense where they, you know, stuff the ball into the basket or into the paint and then, you know, kind of kick it out and work action around there. Yeah, that works for people. That's great. Um, you know, I just like high tempo offense that moves and, you know, shoots a lot of high percentage shots in the corners. And, you know, if you've got open looks and you've got shooters at the top of the key, you know, just make sure you're getting good looks. Like it's a lot of high movement, you know, a lot of pick and roll, you know, those really are the cornerstones of effective offense in my eyes. Um, obviously I'm not a basketball coach or anything like that, as I wouldn't be sitting here today talking to you. Um, but that's, David, you know, let me ask you this <laughs> with regards to zone defense, where do you find yourself feeling uh, when it comes to slapping the floor? Ooh, love a good floor slap, especially, um, especially, especially, especially in zone. In zone I'm defense. talking like not even crossing half court floor slap. Like we're talking oh, like still in the other team's backcourt floor as they're bringing it up, like a really solid emphatic floor slap, man, there's nothing better. Like nothing a Duke better. versus our lady, the third floor bathroom floor slap. <laughs> <laughs> if you're playing defense after you slap the floor, I'm taking you out. If I'm, you coach, that's the here? one thing. Yeah, no, you have to get scored on afterwards. All right. So thank you, as always, uh, Sid and Carlos, for those questions. It's always a pleasure for us to get to interact with members of the Georgia State community. And we hope that you are safe and well this Thanksgiving in the midst of COVID-19 and that you're enjoying everything this holiday has to offer. And hopefully we'll have something additional to be thankful for on Saturday with a win over Georgia Southern. But that's all the time we have this week. Enjoy the rest of your holiday and we will catch you back next week. See you. The Thursday Night Podcast is a production of ThursdayNight.com, the independent source of choice for all things Georgia State sports. This podcast and all included sounds are exclusive property of and copyright 2019 Jordan Crawford Enterprises, LLC, on behalf of ThursdayNight.com, unless otherwise specified. The podcast is produced by Programming Director Brady Weiler and Technical Director Jordan Crawford, with assistance from co-hosts Taylor Dynan and David Salmon. You can find the podcast on SoundCloud, as well as podcast aggregators like Spotify, Google Play, and Apple Podcasts. To submit questions and comments, or to request information on advertising and corporate partnerships, contact the show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram as at Thursday Night, or via email at thursdaynight at gmail.com.